Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Daron. And I'm Nicole. And today, we're going to talk about our top picks for performance-enhancing supplements based on research. <laughs> you, look, you sound like Beavis and Butthead. Afro. I look like Beavis and Butthead. School. You do. <laughs> oh my God, you're killing me. All right, let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, Boss Lady and Big Cito here presenting to you the top performance enhancing supplements based on research. Boss Ooh. Lady. Yes, Big Cito. What's up? Not much. How are you doing? Great. Did you have I, a good day? It was okay. How do you want to kick this off? I had a great day. How do you want to I kick gonna this say, off? I was going to say, you got to lift me up a little bit more than that. I had a good day. Oh, you had a great it was, day. It was okay. <laughs> How do you want to kick this off? Well, let's talk about what you mean by performance enhancing supplements. Let's start there. Supplements that help you to perform better in the gym or in sports in exercise okay and what type of enhancement? they help you build lean they help you build lean mass they help increase uh, muscular endurance anaerobic or aerobic out- output mm-hmm. uh decrease fatigue mm-hmm. uh and just you know help you along the way you know they're performance enhancing supplements also known as ergogenic aids mm-hmm. which uh help to enhance your performance in the gym okay and why would someone want to use a performance enhancing supplement because you want to strive to get better baby that's right all the way now i'm going to preface this conversation by saying Mm -hmm. you've got to be doing things right yes in order to add a supplement regimen in that will Mm -hmm. help it's not a replacement Mm -hmm. for hard work it's not going to you know even athletes like we talk about bodybuilders from time to time Mm-hmm. And even some of these bodybuilders that they use performance enhancing drugs. Like drugs just, different than supplements, right? Drugs different than supplements. But I want to use that as an example. Like people think that these guys just take drugs and that's the way they look. They look the way they look because that's what they do, right? right. And they don't put in hard work on top of taking these. The reality is, is that it allows them to recover better Mm -hmm. right it increases protein synthesis their recovery time is a lot more efficient they can train harder as a result of that but they're still Mm -hmm. training harder and their nutrition is on point yeah right that's a very good point so the same thing for your dietary supplements that you're taking to perform better in the gym or to perform better in a certain sport you want to make sure that things are in order so you want to make sure that you're getting inadequate calories you're getting Mm -hmm. in a good ratio of carbs fat and protein you're getting in your micronutrients you're focused on where you need to, and you're getting adequate protein. Mm-hmm. So all other aspects of lifestyle and exercise and nutrition have to be on point. And hydration. I just yes. got to add that in. That's good part point. of good nutrition, right? Yep. So we mentioned protein. So let's dive into protein. Okay. So that's our first first one you want to start with. Yeah. Top, Simple. Per- 
So I, I'm, I kind of put this in a list of in order of what's got more research to back it. Okay. So the first one that has a tremendous amount of research is whey protein. Mm-hmm. And with whey protein, it helps you to build lean mass. Mm-hmm. It helps to increase muscle protein synthesis. Mm-hmm. It's got a great concentration of branched chain amino acids, which are known to be your muscle building amino acids. Mm-hmm. And most importantly is it has, I believe, the highest concentration of leucine, which is one of your branched-chain amino acids. So your branched-chain amino acids are leucine, valine, and isoleucine. Those are the ones that help you to build muscle specifically. Mm-hmm. And leucine is one that has been found in research to really have a high anabolic effect and really have a high impact on muscle protein synthesis, which means mm-hmm. that you can build muscle more efficiently when you're consuming a decent amount of leucine. And now leucine is going to be found in a lot of animal products. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be found in a very high concentration in whey protein. So leucine is one thing that's been thoroughly studied. And that kind of gives a way to why whey protein is such a great supplement to take. Now, why do you want to focus on whey protein? You need adequate protein. If you're somebody that's not getting in adequate protein, that's definitely a way to boost your protein intake, right? We, we, we talk all the time about the quantity of protein that you're taking in, in, in a day is very Mm -hmm. important. So that is now I I also want to mention it's not a replacement for food. It's an addition. So you're hitting your protein and then your, your, your protein quantity for the day. And you want to add in, get an extra boost at some point after your workout, have a whey protein shake to increase muscle protein synthesis. Mm -hmm. That would be ideal. And that's where you're really going to maximize if you're already consuming enough protein and then you're adding in that addition of whey protein. Yeah. A lot of people ask us all the time if they can use protein shakes as meal or placements, right? So you're saying they need to have that basic meal strategy and then using the whey protein in in addition to. Yeah. And listen, can you, if you're on the go every once in a while, have a protein Mm -hmm. shake? Uh, You know, I currently am waking up very early in the morning and sometimes it's just easier for me to make a shake, but I'm adding things into that. If I'm doing a meal, I'm not just doing protein powder. I'm adding oats right. in my shake. I'm adding banana, almond butter. I have some flaxseed in there. Mm-hmm. So there's, I'm trying to complete a meal with my carbs, fat, and protein if I'm doing that. Yeah. Which is why I call it a meal replacement as opposed to a protein shake. That's what I consider the difference between the two. Right. So right. you'll, and you'll even see on supplements, the there's a specific, there's a standard that you want to consider something a meal replacement, MRP Mm -hmm. shakes, right? There's a standard that you want uh, with a a certain amount of protein, carbs, and fat and vitamins and minerals to be Mm -hmm. categorized as a meal replacement shake. If it's just protein, it's just going to be considered a protein shake, not a meal replacement shake. They do sell meal replacement shakes, but that's a topic for another day. Yep. Now, whey protein I want to talk about the processing of whey protein and different types of whey protein. So you start off with milk protein, which is essentially just, you know, there's some protein bars use this and it's basically like powdered milk, Mm -hmm. you know, with protein, take out the fat, take out certain aspects of it. And then you've got whey protein concentrate, which is the cheapest form of whey protein. Mm -hmm. And the whey protein concentrate is about, 
I want to say 70, anywhere from 70 to 85% protein content. It's manufactured. It's made using a ion exchange system that uses heat. Mm -hmm. The downside to a whey protein concentrate could be that heat has the potential to denature some proteins, which makes it a little bit less uh, bioavailable. Right. Mm -hmm. So for anybody who's taken a biology class and you know about like the lock and key, right? So you've got yeah. a, a receptor, right? And then you've got the molecule that comes in. That's a key, right? And can go and can fit right into that receptor. If you denature the protein molecules, they're going to be a different shape and they're not really going to fit in there. Yeah. The key's not going to really work that efficiently. So whey protein concentrate is still a great option. You can use it. Then we go a step above that. Uh, we filter it a little bit more. We create uh, whey protein isolate, which is typically made using microfiltration. It's not treated with heat generally. It's essentially like picture a paper filter, right? It's essentially just putting it through the filter to remove and separate particles. Yeah. That's going to be probably around 90% protein content. So you see the difference where you're 70 to 85% uh, protein content in the whey protein concentrate and the isolate, you're further isolating the molecules and getting more protein per scoop. Yeah. If you're if you're measuring like let's say 100 gram scoop versus 100 gram scoop, and then you've got the last one which is uh, whey protein hydrolysate, mm -hmm. which uh, could be man manufactured using heat, could also be using acid or certain enzymes. There are a lot of companies that will typically use uh, enzymatic reactions to break apart the bonds between the amino acids, mm -hmm. so your body doesn't have to do that work of breaking down the the amino the, the proteins. Sorry, of breaking down the proteins into amino acids, and it makes it more easily absorbed and, and a little bit more bioavailable, right? Yeah. Now, when you go up the tier of that, obviously the price of your protein powder is going to increase with whey protein, then whey isolate, then uh, whey protein hydrolysate or hydro whey or hydrolyzed whey, what, whatever yeah. it's going to say on the label, that's going to be the most expensive one. Mm -hmm. But protein is thoroughly studied. Whey protein specifically is thoroughly studied. Obviously there are other proteins that are studied as well, but we're talking about performance enhancing and increasing muscle protein synthesis, building muscle helps you to build strength. That's where you're going to get the best bang for your buck. Again, we talk about this time and time again, consuming adequate protein. Yeah. Super important. So good tasting too. So good. Well, it depends who makes it. Well, that's true, but I have some yummy. I love whey protein. Yeah. Yeah. And I, what I, the other thing I will say is like for people who are vegans or vegetarians or mm -hmm. people who don't tolerate dairy very well, what I will say is you're removing majority of lactose when you're doing whey isolate and yeah. beyond. So if somebody has a lactose intolerance, they may still be able to handle whey isolate mm -hmm. if they can't handle concentrate. I can't guarantee that everybody's different. Yeah. But if not, you can always go with a vegan protein. Mm -hmm. which I would say is to do a rice and pea so that you're getting complete yeah. proteins, a blend. Yep. animal source proteins. You're getting more complete proteins versus the, you know, if you're doing just a rice or just a pea, you ideally yep. want to combine those together. Mm -hmm. Is it going to be as good? No, but it's still going to help. So mm -hmm. that's something to consider for, you know, anybody who's listening, who's a vegan or vegetarian. Yeah. Next supplement on our list. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites. And I think we can all agree this is I, a favorite. I did a, I basically have this memorized because I did a 20 <laughs> page, do. 20 page research <laughs> article in college 
in my uh, nutrition research course mm-hmm. on creatine. Creatine. All right. Well, take it away. Then I'll let you. So I'm going to say creatine monohydrate. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to the why. Okay. But I want to describe creatine first. Creatine is a very unique supplement. And outside of protein, it's the most vastly studied supplement for sports performance or, mm-hmm. or exercise performance in existence. There is nothing that even compares to the piles and piles of research that we have on creatine. Yeah. Creatine is it's a combination of three amino acids. It's glycine, arginine, and methionine. You know, interesting story on creatine. I, when I used to work uh, in a supplement store, mm-hmm. I um, somebody sold this kid. He was young. He was like 16, 14. I don't remember how old he was. And, you know, creatine is a big supplement. Everybody wants to take it. It works. All mm-hmm. their friends are taking it. They're going yeah. to the gym. They're young. They're lifting. They're trying to get bigger. And his mom came in and I was working and she returned the supplement and flipped out. She was like, I don't know if you know this or not. Creatine's an amphetamine. You're selling poison to my kid. And I want to really? return this. And I'm like, I'm like, lady, I'll give you a refund, but it's not an amphetamine. I'm sorry. And she's like, <laughs> yes, it is. You don't. And I'm like, I'm not even going to argue with this Karen over here coming in here. She's a mom. You can't she's, argue with a mom. She's I can. I mean, whatever. She didn't know what the hell she was talking about. No, clearly. But she is still a mom and moms get scared when they're children bring home things that they don't understand or why he was taking it. Who knows? So anyway, (laughs) back to the show. (laughs) So creatine is a combination of three amino acids. It's glycine, arginine, and methionine. And creatine is something that if you're uh, vegan or vegetarian, it's, it's, you get it from meat, Mm -hmm. right? A beef has a very high concentration of uh, creatine. So if you eat a lot of beef, you're going to get some creatine in there. Uh, and if you're vegan or vegetarian, you're going to, you're going to get less creatine. So somebody who's trying to build lean mass, who is in that, who fits into that category, Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, Hey, you might want to supplement with creatine. There's been thought in the past about cycling creatine. You really don't need to. Yeah. There is go back. Why? Let's talk about that. You said there's been, I don't know if it was like a, a let your body rest and recover and your kidneys or whatever it is. Yeah. I've Uh, heard this. All of the research on, and this was something that I did when I was in college that I looked into part of the, um, part of the paper that I wrote was the safety and efficacy of that's Mm -hmm. essentially what it was. Safety and efficacy of creatine. Does it work? Is it safe? Mm-hmm. Right. And the thought process is that a byproduct or a waste product of creatine is creatinine mm-hmm. and creatinine is also a marker that we use to measure whether or not your kidneys are healthy. Correct. Right. So then the thought is, well, OK, if creatine is being turned into creatinine and that has to be filtered and processed through your kidneys. Yeah. Creatine must cause some type of Could damage to, yeah. to your kidneys. But the there's zero research to support that. There's tons of research to support the opposite, that if you're healthy and you have healthy functioning kidneys, you will not have as- adverse effects from supplementing with a creatine supplement. Mm-hmm. So just want to clear that up. Yeah. Now, the way creatine works, creatine is is uh, unique. So you, we want to talk about energy systems. So your body has three different energy systems mm-hmm. and they're basically, they're always all working and they're predominantly working in different time intervals, 
Right. Right. So you've got your phosphagen system, also known as your phosphocreatine system, Mm -hmm. which that's where the creatine comes in. You've got your anaerobic system and then you've got your aerobic system. Right. Mm -hmm. So in your anaerobic system, you're um, going through glycolysis, breaking down carbohydrates for energy in your aerobic system. You have a little bit more fatty acid oxidation. Uh, And in your phosphagen system, you have creatine. Essentially, the way the energy pathway works is you have ATP, which is energy. Mm -hmm. When that ATP, so it's adenosine triphosphate, when that ATP is broken down, it releases energy. A phosphate is removed and it creates ADP, adenosine diphosphate. Now, when you ingest creatine, it binds to a phosphate molecule. So at the cellular level in the cell, this creatine that's bound to phosphate will then donate a phosphate. So creatine phosphate will donate a phosphate to adenosine diphosphate to create more adenosine triphosphate. And essentially think of ATP or adenosine triphosphate as your body's currency for energy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The more ATP you have, Right. more energy you can produce. Right. And the phosphagen system works in bouts of about 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. So people like power lifters or sprinters, um, you know, even bodybuilders, they will use a lot in powerlifting. Perfect example. Yeah. You're doing a one rep max or a three rep max or five rep max, whatever it is, right? Whatever is part of your workout for that day. And then you're resting for five minutes and you're replenishing your, your creatine, your ATP stores, right? Right. And then you're doing another set, mm-hmm. right? That activity, that explosive activity that lasts less than about eight to 10 seconds, that's where you're using predominantly that phosphagen system. Mm-hmm. So what creatine does is it provides to kind of simplify that because I know I gave kind of that that's more good. complex answer, but to kind of simplify that, Creatine donates more energy to that phosphagen system for explosive mm-hmm. movements, powerlifting, sprinting, Olympic lifting, and, and bodybuilders benefit from it as well. It helps. It really, really helps with putting on lean mass. Yeah. If you want to build muscle, creatine is hands down, aside from protein, right? And consuming adequate protein and amino acids and stuff. Mm-hmm. Creatine is hands down the it's the best supplement. It's like it's that's hands down, hands down, hands, <laughs> hands down, down, hands, hands, hands down. down. Put your hands I'm, down. I'm putting my hands down. <laughs> Put them down and listen to me, because this is important stuff. Now, I do want to talk about types of creatine, and then I want to go into loading creatine versus not loading creatine. Yeah, I want to talk about that too. So, types of creatine, creatine monohydrate is the one that is most commonly researched, and this mm-hmm. was something that, again, going back to college, I put this in my paper. Uh, because it was like, you know, a professor was like, you got, you have to raise more questions, right? Because the best research raises more questions. And the question that I raised was, what is the difference in terms of, do we have enough research and data to support different types of cre- uh, creatine and the claims, mm-hmm. right? So supplement companies will do this. Here's the thing with creatine monohydrate. It's cheap as fuck. It is dirt cheap. You get like a hundred servings for like five or $10. Mm-hmm. And Supplement companies will say, I remember this from working in the supplement store, creatine ethyl ester because you retain less water when you take it. Yeah. 
And that's one of the things, one of the drawbacks that people say with creatine is yeah. you do retain more water. And what I will say in terms of retaining more water, uh, one of the adverse effects or side effects, potentially, if you're not hydrating yourself enough when you're supplementing with creatine, gonna say that. Yep. you're going to have some GI distress yep. and you may, you may, you know, you may have some diarrhea. Yeah. Right. So the creatine at the Lester was, hey, you're going to retain less water and you're going to look leaner and whatever. Not true. There's little to no data to support that. Mm -hmm. uh, creatine phosphate. The thought is, hey, it's already bound to phosphate. Your body doesn't have to do it. Also, no data to support superiority. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a ton of different types of creatine. And what they'll do is they'll take a $10 supplement and they'll turn it to a 50 or $60 50. supplement. Yeah, exactly. When in reality, I mean, why not use what is in the research? Yeah. And in the research the majority, the vast amount of research, probably 80 to 90% of the research is using creatine monohydrate. Mm -hmm. It's cheap and effective. Yeah. And if you've ever used it, I mean, that's the other piece. It works. Now, loading versus not loading. I give a general recommendation of probably anywhere between five and 10 grams of creatine a day. You can take five grams of creatine a day and within a 30 day period of supplementing with it daily, it's something that you definitely need to take every single day. Mm -hmm. Your creatine stores will be fully saturated. Yeah. Now, the thought behind creatine loading is that if you are supplementing and the, the general protocol that's been proposed was, hey, first seven days, take 20 grams a day, it will saturate quicker. Yes. Yeah. See, I never understood why anybody would do that. I've done it. The, the research, there is some research to support creatine loading mm -hmm. that you will saturate quicker. But if you're going to be taking but creatine like, ongoing, like you're not in a rush, you could do five yeah. grams a day and, and you will reach full saturation. I don't know that you're going to reach a greater saturation point. Like it's not going to increase like faster. You're, you're, oh, not, it is going to increase faster loading, but is it is it going to increase more? Well, that's kind of my, I guess that's what I mean by faster. Like what I, you Everything I do is slow and steady wins the race. So for me, I just felt like that was like just too much. It depends. I mean, I mean, I, I don't I'm know. Not, I've never done it. I, listen, obviously. I'm not I'm not entirely opposed to loading. You can load. You cannot load. But I, wouldn't you say, though, that if you're going to do something like that, you'd have to be somewhat of an av like a heavy athlete. I mean, I really wouldn't give that to someone. Like a general pop in the gym, I, maybe someone who's really heavy into training. I would well, find that to be more of an advanced strategy, I guess. Let me say that. But who I've, knows? I've done it. And did you see a difference, though, between loading and not loading? I don't know. I can't really tell you. Anecdotally, I can't tell you. Well, then there you go. Five grams of creatine a day is a general recommendation. That's what's shown in research to work. You can, within 30 days, reach full saturation. It's an excellent, excellent supplement. If you're looking to put on muscle, if you're looking to gain strength, mm -hmm. That's definitely a route that you can go. Next up. Perfect. One of my favorites, which I need to take a little bit of time off on this one because I've been drinking a ton of coffee <laughs> or in my New York. Let me put on my New York accent. Coffee. I've been, I've been drinking a lot of coffee, kid. Yeah. Um, I don't drink I, any coffee anymore. I, kid. I've been drinking coffee for a prolonged period of time. And, you know, it's, it, coffee, coffee, coffee. Coffee is one of those <laughs> things that you want to every once in a while just kind of reset because you do build a tolerance. Mm -hmm. uh, but caffeine, 
So caffeine is, you'll find it in a ton of pre-workout products yeah. as well as creatine. You'll find that in pre-workout products as well. Caffeine is a central nervous simulator mm-hmm. and caffeine will, you know, if you're simulating your central nervous system, your exercises are utilizing your central nervous system, your squats, your deadlifts, especially your heavy lifts, right? Your bench press. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to help to stimulate that. It's going to give you that mental focus and that energy, which, you know, if you just finished a long day of work, Caffeine's obviously going to help. Mm-hmm. Uh, caffeine appears to have a benefit on anaerobic cardiovascular exercise, which how would we categorize that, Nicole? Swinging a kettlebell. Yeah. You know, CrossFit. I don't know. Uh, cardiovascular high exercise, high intensity stuff uh, yeah. with weights. Yeah. Right. And it's proposed to be that it helps with anaerobic cardiovascular exercise due to a combination that it is anti it has an anti-fatigue effect and it also helps you to increase your power output mm-hmm. there are some studies um that are seem to be pretty reliable and significant that it increases your power output uh both weightlifting as well as cycle ergometer measurements which you know just cycling and measuring that measuring your power output doing that um, in both trained and sedentary people. So there's definitely some information out there. There's a study that cites five milligrams per kilogram of body weight, assuming that you're like, like I said, assuming that you're not caffeine tolerant, mm-hmm. right? If you've built up a tolerance, caffeine's really not going to do much for you. Yeah. So, and I always say like one week, the week sucks if you drink coffee on a regular basis, right? I'm dreading, <laughs> I'm dreading the day that I pull the plug on coffee for one week. Yeah. But after that week, you're like, all right, cool. Let's go time. Let's go. And caffeine is in fat burners, which I'm not a huge advocate of fat burners. So don't, don't get me wrong on that. Fat burners, it helps to increase energy, decrease fatigue. If you're in a caloric deficit and you're, that's the purpose of, you know, you're obviously trying to burn fat. So it's going to mm-hmm. increase your energy levels. Uh, but there, it's also shown to uh, have the potential to increase fatty acid oxidation. So kind of have like a almost like a thermogenic effect. And that's it for caffeine. You got anything else to add for coffee? It smells delicious and it tastes delicious on top of the fact that it has these benefits. I'm like a co- like a coffee snob it. at this point. <laughs> I don't think I think I seriously think I'm like the only person in my like group of people that I work out with that does not use caffeine. Well, you quit for a reason, right? I can't. Yeah, I, I honest to God, I can't sleep. If I have there is a significant difference between waking up in the morning, having a cup of coffee, which trust me, I've been a caffeine maniac for many years. This is I love coffee. I miss coffee. But I have started to notice when I turned maybe 45 that um, and I had some issues with sleep um, that the days that I have coffee, even if it's early in the morning at night, I'm 100% staring at the ceiling awake. If I don't have it, I sleep way better. Really? So I honestly have no like concrete, like evidence based. I will say than, I would. Other probably, than that just makes, I can tell by the way I, I feel. I will say, yes, you do, you definitely would get better sleep reducing or eliminating caffeine. I don't know if like from the morning to the night, you know, if there's still an effect. It does but, for me. That's all I can say. Nicole. Yo. I forgot to hit record. No, it's recording. Oh, damn it. You can see it. <laughs> You're an idiot. <laughs> Come on. All right. Just because I don't drink coffee doesn't mean I can't read. <laughs> I said I don't drink coffee. I'm not stupid. I'm not dumb. All right. Oh. 
next up coffee ice cream counts <laughs> coffee ice cream coffee uh is there coffee amazing coffee ice cream? yeah of course there is that's why they call it coffee ice cream it's so good i don't eat ice cream oh my what i can't have dairy Okay, so I don't drink caffeine, and you don't, have, and you can't eat ice cream. I don't. I, I do, eat all the I ice do, cream for you. Then I do. You know what I love is uh, I haven't done it in a long. I haven't had ice cream in a long time, but oat milk ice cream. Oh like, yeah, that's good too. Yeah, yeah, o- yeah. Oatly, and I tried the almond milk ice cream, but no, nah, I don't like that as much. It's I got that, that a nutty aftertaste, which I yeah. was like, I drink mm-hmm. almond milk. I put that in my coffee, but mm-hmm. I don't. The oat oat milk is so creamy it's so creamy i was just gonna say it's texture but i can't do oat milk in my coffee because it's so high in carbs i mean it's oats obviously yeah um all right so all right next, so. Ne- next supplement we get to is citrulline malate which uh at a dose of five grams or more is linked with increased blood flow increasing the plump the pump if you're increasing blood flow you're increasing uh nutrient flow to your muscles oxygen mm-hmm. flow to your muscles and every anyone who's ever lifted weights and had the feeling of the pump like i used to say you're get you got bit by the bodybuilding bug yeah (laughs) and i also used to say the pump is if you keep working and eating and nourishing your body that is a vision of the future and what you'll look like if you're consistent if you keep going yep so there's that it does allow for decreased fatigue which allows for increase in training volume because you're getting less fatigued. Citrulline malate is also, again, back to amino acids. A lot of the stuff is amino acids yeah. that you find in food. Mm-hmm. It's a combination of L-citrulline and malic acid. And it is an intermediate in the citric acid cycle, also known as the Krebs cycle. Once again, mm-hmm. I keep referring like to, for anyone who's ever taken a biology class. Well, fact so it, it it does you know help with energy metabolism uh and and reducing fatigue and increasing training volume mm-hmm. that's pretty much it for citrulline malate in terms of what it does as we go down the list it's kind of you know there's less and less research on this stuff but there's good yeah. research on it mm-hmm. beta alanine at a dose of 1.6 to 3.2 grams uh is shown to increase endurance Muscular endurance specifically. It, this is the one that gives me the tinglies. This is the one that gives you the tinglies. And in theory, there's a, a nerve transmitting yes. effect with beta alanine. And that's why it makes you tingly. Right mm-hmm. now, keep in mind, some for some people, it's uncomfortable. The first time I had beta alanine, I was like, whoa, like it feels what like a, like almost like a niacin flush. Yeah. And it, it's gone in you know, 10 to 15 minutes and it goes away. It's just like mm-hmm. an initial effect of consuming it. Um, so there's a theory that it's thought that beta alanine activates a G protein coupled receptor or G protein coupled receptors, which are responsible for transmitting signals through your central nervous system, especially on your skin. Yes. I was just going to um, say. And it fires up those nerve endings. Mm-hmm. And that is what causes that itch. Those are the same receptors that cue for pain in those areas, mm-hmm. but it's not enough to initiate that. So you get that kind of tingly feeling. That's a theory. Yeah. I don't, it's not necessarily a completely understood mechanism, but it's something that's been thrown out there. Yeah. I used to get it in my cheeks, my face, my cheeks would get red and I would get the tinglys in my cheeks. It didn't even last 10 or 15 minutes. It well, was the, like re- a the redness might be, uh, they probably put niacin in the supplements too. Yeah. So beta alanine. At a dose of 1.6 to 3.2 grams, 
has been shown to, in studies, increase your reps or your rep capacity by one to two extra reps when you're performing in the eight to 15 rep uh, category, which you and I know that eight to 15 reps, upwards of 15 reps puts you in the muscular endurance training, mm-hmm. which is, you know, something that we talked about with the, the last episode. Mm-hmm. Is that the last episode? No, it's the next episode. No, it was the last one because this it one's was coming out after that. Oh, yeah. oh, last episode. So beta alanine in your body converts into carnosine and carnosine in your muscles helps to decrease lactic acid production, mm-hmm. right? So it helps with reducing pH and reducing acid, mm-hmm. which that feeling that you feel, that burning sensation, it will yeah. reduce that, allowing you to do more reps. Yeah. It helps to buffer the acid in your muscles. Mm-hmm. And it increases physical performance in the 60 to 240 second range. Can aid in lean muscle gain. I'd like to see a little bit more data on that. And that's it. I'll stop there on that. Okay. Have you used all of these supplements prior? So I haven't used beta alanine on its own. I've just done it in pre-workouts. Yeah. In pre-workouts, me too. Yeah. And I actually only ever used it when I was doing all my um, bikini prep stuff. I don't use it now, currently, but I did prior. Same thing with creatine. I used Cre- that during creatine. My, I've done a lot. My bikini prep. Yeah, I. It's funny because you when you ask when you had said something about cycling the creatine, like I used it for bikini preps for the couple of years that I did, and then I stopped when you know I wasn't doing any more bikini shows, and then I started using it again a couple of years later when I felt like I wanted to start building again. So I've kind of used that on and off protein. Obviously I use all the time caffeine. I've used a lot in the past. And then obviously now I stopped just from a sleep standpoint. Um, and again, pre-workout, I, I, I used to use caffeine as my pre-workout <laughs> instead of like a, a full pre-workout like supplement because I liked it better. I got to have an extra cup of coffee in the day and that was dope. <laughs> dope. Yeah. Uh, the creatine I've done through contest prep to maintain my strength more so. Mm-hmm. I've done it on the off season too to build strength. Yeah. Right. So creatine has a ton of different, you can use it in the on season. You can use it in the off season. Mm-hmm. You can, I don't, I don't know what the NCAA recommendations are. I don't think creatine is something that you can do if you're in the NCAA. Um, but it's a great supplement for athletes. Yeah. And it's amino acids. I mean, come on yeah, guys. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. That's pretty much it for supplements that I'll recommend, right? So going through the list again, we talked about whey protein, the mm-hmm. the most extensively studied uh, creatine, monohy- creatine monohydrate outside of uh, protein, which is the most uh, specifically sports supplement or performance yeah. supplement, the most studied performance supplement. Then we have uh, caffeine, caffeine, citrulline, malate, and beta alanine. And the last thing I kind of wanted to just throw in this episode was... Things I generally don't recommend. Yeah, that you see on the market. Which, which there's one on that list. And then I want to finish off with things I never recommend. Okay. So things that I generally don't recommend is branched chain amino acids, mm-hmm. which we talked about branched chain amino acids. That's your leucine, valine, and isoleucine, those muscle building amino acids. Now, I will recommend it conditionally for certain people. If you're a vegan, great. Mm-hmm. If you're having a hard time getting adequate protein, mm-hmm. or I would use BCAAs in my 
contest prep when I was in a caloric deficit. Yeah. Because too. when you're doing a calorie deficit, as we know, your protein intake or need should it should go up. Go up yeah, higher. Yeah. Now for your day to day, though, if you're trying to build lean mass and you're in a caloric surplus and you're eating adequate protein, or right. even if you're in maintenance and you're eating adequate protein, I don't recommend it. You're getting enough as long as you're eating meat, fish, poultry, dairy, and eggs. Yeah. You're, you're getting adequate branched chain amino acids throughout the day if you're getting adequate grams of protein. Mm-hmm. Now, that's it. I got nothing else to say about that. I drink it because I love the kind of like the Arnold Palmer iced tea lemonade, the flavor mm-hmm. of the, um, <laughs> the iced tea lemonade aminos. Yeah. And I'll just drink it down because I'm like, ah, oh, whatever. It's not going to hurt me. Get some extra branched chain amino acids, but I, it's not going to have a benefit to me. I just like the taste of it. Yeah. So for people who are like, oh, I don't want to drink water, right? Right. That's that, something I've used in the past too. That may be an option to just flavor your water. But outside of that, like the benefit, if you're eating adequate protein, you don't really need it. Yeah. And then three things I never recommend. Never. These are the the absolutely not go. For I don't it. want to say never. We've got maybe some emer- potentially some emerging research on uh, glutamine for gut health, but mm-hmm. we're not on that topic. So to l- let me say from a never- performance standpoint, from a performance, from a performance standpoint, I'll start with glutamine because I just mentioned that. Yeah. Glutamine is not an essential amino acid. There's nine essential amino acids. Glutamine is not one of them. Mm-hmm. It's considered conditionally essential essential. Yeah. In times of trauma. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you got in a car accident and you had a ton of impact on your muscle and muscle, severe muscle damage, we're talking severe muscle damage. Glutamine can actually be used in a clinical setting to help repair mm-hmm. that muscle. Now, the supplement companies would take that and they run with it, run with right? it <laughs> and say glutamine helps with muscle recovery, recovery. post-workout. Yep. And then everybody's dropping it in their protein shakes. <laughs> Conditionally essential, the trauma of your workout yeah, it is not, it's not adequate trauma to warrant it being essential, right? You deplete yeah. glutamine when you're under that severe muscular trauma, right? And you've damaged all of this tissue, mm-hmm. not when you're working out. So mm-hmm. the glutamine thing, it's just, it's, it's a waste of money to me. It's, it's not going to help you in terms of performance recovery. Yeah. Right. Which is part of performance. Right. You need yep. to recover from your workout so you can perform better on the next one. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to help you. That one's out. L-arginine or arginine. I, then this is something that I fell victim to. Right. When I started early on in bodybuilding, I was taking arginine because I was like, it increases vasodilation. It increases blood flow to your muscles mm-hmm. and it gives you a better pump. There are no studies showing. That. Not really. <laughs> there, there are no studies. There's literally no studies that show increase that. in va- that that qu- are qualified studies that show increase in vasodilation. And the supplement companies will still put it in their pre-workouts. You know, I remember BSN making uh, nitrix, right? Mm-hmm. And there were, it was pills. It was arginine pills. And they were selling yeah. these things for a lot of money. Yeah. And they made a ton of money telling people this is going to increase your pump. And, you know, mind the, the mind works like the placebo effect. Like, yeah. Oh, man, the supplement's this. working. Like, let me yeah. buy another bottle. <laughs> right. And then the, the, the third thing I wanted to add in here that it's not a it's not really on the performance end. But I wanted to add in here. I wanted to add in in here because I've seen research on it and I don't like the claim on it. And I've had this conversation and I I had this argument once with uh, Hani Rambad, Mm -hmm. um, Phil Heath's coach, right? So Mm -hmm. I'm I'm on Instagram back and forth 
Hani posted his one of his supplements, and it was all different various types of uh, L-carnitine. Mm-hmm. Was basically the, the entire supplement. It was like powdered L-carnitine. I didn't know that that was his company, so I commented. <laughs> so you were arguing with. Him I commented, it. and I was like, I, "I haven't seen any research that supports that arginine that L-carnitine works for fat loss, right? That's what the claim is." Right. It's supposed to be a fat burner, yeah. Right. It's supposed to uh, decrease fat mass, or yeah, you know, help with that. Now, I've seen some small studies that show a mild increase in insulin sensitivity mm-hmm. but in terms of the major claim on it by supplement companies i was like hey man like i don't see any research to support this and i get the theory but it does and then it just went into this whole back and forth and he's like i've used it with with uh athletes and then i've had their them use it and not use it and you see a difference and you could see a difference and i'm like okay well you know you're talking about professional bodybuilders and you've changed multiple different variables and how do you know that the creatine was one of them? I, I'm sorry. And the how do you know? How do you know that the L-carnitine was one of them? That and I'm, and I'm like, and also, what are you talking about? N equals five? Like that's not a valid study. That's anecdotal. And he goes, N equals twenty plus years of experience. And I'm like, great, all right, awesome. <laughs> and then some and then some other like physique competitor chimed in, and he's like, I'd rather have Hani coach me than you coach me. And I'm like, yeah, no shit. I'd rather have Hani coach me than you coach me. That's not the point. Yeah. But let me touch up on this uh, L-carnitine. The research doesn't show that it works for fat loss. And I get where the theory comes from. So, you know, if you take a biochemistry class, especially like a nutritionally focused biochemistry class, you learn about the carnitine shuttle. Mm -hmm. Right. And the carnitine shuttle is essentially when you break down a fatty acid, in order for that fat to get into your cell, to be mobilized into your cell, to get through the cell, and to be used for energy, yeah. you have it binds to carnitine. Mm-hmm. And that's known as the carnitine shuttle. Essentially, you break down a fatty acid into its end product, it binds to carnitine, and carnitine shuttles it into the cell, and then it's burned as energy. Right. So the thought process... The thought is, if you have more... makes sense, exactly. More yeah. is better, right? That's always yeah. the, the that's first always thought, it. right? Yep. More is better. So when you say, okay, if I take more L-carnitine... Then I'm going to be shuttling more fat into the cell. And boom. And boom. Life I'm going to be lean as fuck, right? <laughs> but it was that easy. It, and, and in theory, I understand that. But when you look at the studies, the studies don't show that. So what that yeah. leads me to believe is that your body is going to have enough L-carnitine to shuttle the fat that it needs, mm-hmm. right? You're not burning fat at, and breaking down fat at a faster rate. Mm-hmm. to attach it to carnitine and then shuttle it into the cell. That's where I think that the, that's where I, 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 I kind of hypothesize that that's, I kind of think that's where the, the theory came from. Yeah. Uh, it's the only thing that really makes sense to me, but it, you know, a, not even a theory, I'd call it a hypothesis. A hypothesis, mm-hmm. if it's not validated, it's not validated. Yeah. And this is the thing with supplement companies, right? And this is part of the reason why I wanted to do this episode, right? Yeah. It's, People are taking all these products and they're crap and they don't do anything. You take arginine, you take carnitine, you take glutamine for muscle recovery, right? And you're told that it works and it's not doing anything for you. Yeah. It's just burning a hole in your, it's not burning fat, it's burning a hole in your pocket. Yeah, exactly. You're just spending a ton of money on nothing. It's also because everybody, we go back to the quick fix mentality. People think if that product can get them to the place that they're looking to get to faster, then they might as well give it a shot, you know? 
But and the and the biggest thing is, and this is what I say with supplements, right? If you're going to get maybe a two percent extra yeah, any, on top anything. of what you're doing, right? right? So let's say your diet is right, your nutrition is great, you're following a progressive program, you are on point with everything, you're working out five, maybe six days a week, you're really pushing. Maybe you're doing two a days, right? Mm-hmm. You really want to increase your recovery. You want to get adequate protein. You're doing all the right things. That'll get you like 98% there. And then right. an extra 2% is going to come from supplements. It's not magic. No. Right? And a lot of people absolutely think that the other way around. They think that this is the 98% is the supplement and the 2% of what they do in their lifestyle. They kind well, of flip it. I mean, listen, the supplement industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. Have you? Okay. So let me, let's, let's talk about walking into a supplement store because I've been at this point in my career, I go in now just to see like what type of bullshit is on some of these labels. Like, have you, I mean, you worked in a store, so you get it, but even walking through CVS, I have to tell you, like there's a whole wall now of everything that you could possibly take. And it's absolutely insane to me, Daron. And, you know, I never used any type of supplementation whatsoever, not even protein powder up until I did uh, until I really got heavy into strength training and bikini shows. I never touched any of that, especially as a dancer. That's not even in our realm of reality. Uh, but some of the claims on some of these bottles, like I, I sometimes just sit and read them and I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me, especially things for women. There is an entire wall. Well, there's a whole market for whole women market. protein. Well, so, women. And that's, and that's one thing that's that bugs crap. that that's one thing that bugs me is like, Protein for women. It's so, how, how, how is that different? It's just right. packaged differently. It's how pink. is that different than protein? Than, <laughs> than, like, I, um, I think it was like lean body and then they had lean body hers. It's the exact yes, same. Yes. Yes. Like exactly. one of them's got a little bit less protein in it. I don't it's not. It's the same protein. Yeah. But it's it, but it's interesting that on top of all that, like the outside of the label and this is big, too, is like it'll say whatever the protein powder is, whey, vegan, whatever. And then it will maximize whatever the claim is. It's just crazy the things that they're able to write. I mean, their their ad spend is yeah. insane. And the the sponsorships yeah. are, they pay these athletes a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Like we're talking, you know, the, the top pro athletes, millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. bodybuilders probably not maybe millions again, if you're like mr <laughs> if you're like mr olympia or your top five right yeah um there's i've seen and there was a wave of this there was a wave of a time when more was better with supplements and we're just mm-hmm. going to combine all these ingredients together yeah yeah right these fat burners a blend with like of 50 this ingredients a protein supplement with i remember a time there were supplement companies putting in a, a white willow bark in protein and i'm like <laughs> White, white willow bark. So uh, white willow bark is how you make aspirin, right? White, right? white aspirin is derived from white willow bark. So essentially you're putting aspirin in a to protein. into a protein powder. Why do you need that? You don't. No idea. <laughs> the other thing is one of the reasons why white willow bark, why aspirin was created by Bayer, they, they made aspirin was because you know how like NSAIDs um, mm-hmm. over time they wear away at your intestinal Liver. lining, mm-hmm. right? White willow bark does that even more. And then oh, aspirin, your intestinal lining, you said, I thought you said, yeah, liver. you don't know your intestinal lining, white willow bark causes even more damage. Mm-hmm. And that's why aspirin was created. 
-hmm. It's easier on your digestive system. Mm -hmm. So like, why are you going to put that in a supplement? You're it's, there were so many, and there was a time there were, there was a time where I don't know if I should name the company, but there was a company that made a fat burner with a ton of ingredients in it. And then people's liver enzymes were going through the roof. And there's, well, that's what I was saying about liver. And, And the thing is, is that a lot of these ingredients, there's, there's not enough research to support them on their own own right let alone the interaction with other yeah. ingredients in your body so yeah when it comes to supplements i say keep it simple like we had a time where it was everything was proprietary blend and you didn't know how much of anything was in there you just knew yeah. that the first ingredient was the most and the last ingredient was the least least yeah right so there was a time where proprietary blends were a thing i'm i think the Every time I now, now, every time I see a proprietary blend, I'm like, absolutely not. not. I want to know what's in the product. The industry has shifted. Consumers have gotten smarter, Smarter. which I'm smarter, Mm -hmm. which I'm, which I'm grateful for. Mm -hmm. Um, And people want to know what's in their product. Yeah. Less is more when it comes to supplements, less ingredients, take them individually if you need to. You know, like I said, with creatine monohydrate, you just go on, you, you buy that by itself. And yeah, I mean, you got to be weary with these with these companies. They make a ton of claims. They're not mm-hmm. FDA approved claims. Mm-hmm. There are definitely things that they can't say. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's a reason why we have every single dietary supplement. Uh, these statements have not been you know, evaluated or approved by the FDA because yeah. it's it, not. it hasn't. Been. <laughs> now, are there supp- some supplements that I think can make claims? potentially not having that label on it. Yeah. Creatine Mm -hmm. is definitely one of them. Mm -hmm. There's tons of research on it. Um, but that's just the industry by and large. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. I think that covers it. Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe, comment, give us five stars, share this with a friend and you'll hear us next week. Bye.